in a series called Freeway, and we are, uh, this is our third week in it, and um, it's, it's a series that's going to kind of become a part of our DNA here at the church. It'll be something that we're going to offer on a regular basis throughout small groups and other avenues, and so we wanted to take the whole church through it, and this is our third week, and if you can, I would really encourage you to make sure you, you stick out the next four weeks with us as we finish out this series and, and kind of keep in touch, because we're wanting to be able to to kind of guide people through this as they come and be a part of 6-8 Church. And so we want a lot of people who have gone through this journey. In fact, we're hoping that towards the end of the series, the, the content of it, this is not my content, this is based on a book and the sermons are based on a sermon series by Pete Wilson. Uh, and we're hoping that you, it'll stir, stir up some interest and we'll be able to maybe form a specific small group about Freeway and you can go deeper and there's a workbook and there's a lot of great information that you can dig deeper and really get on your on your path to freedom from some of the stuff that weighs us down. So uh, stick it out if you can and, and be here. And one more thing before we get into the stuff though, um, it's summertime and it's a great time to be investing in, in relationships and friendships and, and networking and all of those kinds of things. And so that you're building relationships and, and down the road when we have you know, our, our real strong outreach opportunities like the block party and and series that we're starting up in the fall, you can invite them and it doesn't feel awkward because you haven't talked to them in a year and you're just inviting them out of the blue. And so uh, be, be investing in those relationships, be intentional. And one of the things that um, is becoming increasingly uh, apparent to me is that there are a lot, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of hurting people in our world. There are a lot of hurting people right around the door from this church. There are a lot of hurting people that we all come in contact with every day. There are people who are far from God and they, right now their only hope is in themselves and what they can accomplish. And we need to become a church that is, that is more, uh, more concerned with who we're reaching than our own personal preferences and desires. And we need to continue to grow up as we grow in our faith, as we become disciples who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. We need to become disciples who are very concerned with the people who aren't here yet, with the people who are not in God's kingdom. And we need God to put a burden on our hearts for that. And so that's one of the things that I've been praying for us as a church over the last week as God has put that on my mind is that God would give us perspective and passion. That he give us perspective for, for those who are around us who don't have an eternal hope yet, who don't have an eternal savior and he would give us a passion to reach out to them no matter what the cost. Because I guarantee you whatever we think the cost is and the price we pay in trying to reach out to them, it is not nearly as dear as the cost they will pay if they don't enter into God's Amen. grace. So be investing in relationships and pray, invest and pray that God will create opportunities for you to invite them when the time is right. Pray that God will open the eyes of their mind and heart. Pray that God will prepare them to hear the message of the gospel, that, that the soil will be prepared like we've talked about so many times. So when that seed is planted, it takes root and the gospel forms in that person. The first week we talked about in this series, Freeway, awareness. And we said awareness increases as hurry decreases. Awareness increases as hurry decreases. We're a very fast-paced society. We're on a hurry. We're in a hurry all the time. And the only way to really become aware of what God might want to reveal to us is to slow down and allow God room to speak. And we said hurry decreases as contentment increases and that the world and the enemy will use things like discontentment to try to lure us away from 
contentment so that we cannot be aware of the things God wants to reveal. The second week, last week we talked about discovery and how we need to, the, once we're aware of things, we need to discover things and what do we do with things that we discover? And we said we need to have wisdom, courage, and faith. We need to have wisdom to look at our past and we said our past isn't our past if it's still affecting our present. We need to have courage to look at the present with honest and open minds and we need to have faith to believe that healing is possible. So hopefully we're aware of things and hopefully we're discovering these things we need to work on, but, but now what do we do? What do we do with the things that we discover? What do we do with these things that are, that are getting shown to us? How do we respond? How do we react to these things? Are we gonna run and hide from them? Are we going to try to bury them and not ever deal with them? We're gonna keep them locked in a closet so we never have to touch those things. Or are we gonna blame others for them? Are we gonna push the blame off of ourselves and refuse to take responsibility for our part and push the blame onto others? How are we gonna deal with these problems? Are we gonna run, are we gonna hide, are we gonna push the blame, or are we gonna take responsibility for the things that have happened in my life? I'm just gonna warn you, this morning is gonna be a little bit straight, it's gonna be a little bit direct, and it might, uh, might make all of us, including myself, a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. And, uh, but it, it's something that we need to talk about because it's becoming a really, a really big issue for us today. It's a really big issue. And that's the idea of pushing blame. We call it victimization. You know, we, we, we're victims, and we're gonna get into that. But this morning, as, as, we're, as, we're, as you have that thing in mind, hopefully God has revealed something in you that, that you need to be aware of, that you need to discover and work on. As you have this thing in mind, I would just, I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would beg you not to run away from it, but do all you can to push hard against, to, to not let it push you out of what God wants to do, but to push hard against this desire and let God do the work that he so desperately wants to do because we all have things we need to deal with. We all have issues, including myself. I have issues. You can ask my wife. I have a lot of issues that I need to work on things God wants to do in me. And we're not perfect. God has a plan for us and he wants to take us there. We all need to deal with things. But I don't know if you know this, but us as the human race, we have a tendency to, to like to do two things. We like to judge and we like to blame. I don't know, maybe, that's, maybe, maybe this isn't the case for you. I'll just kind of I'll just kind of reveal some of my nature to you. If you aren't this way, then uh, you're a better person than I am, but uh, I, I like to judge people and I like to be able to look at people from the outside and kind of, kind of judge where they are and make my judgment, and I like to blame people. I would rather blame someone than take the credit for my own mistakes. And we've talked about this many times, but it's a really good example because I don't think I'm the only one who's done this, but driving on the freeway. And now, I think this, this is a good example of how I am such a hypocrite. Now, look, so if, I'm, if I am on the road and I want to go a certain speed, and I'm not gonna tell you the number of that certain speed because I don't want you to judge me this morning, but if I want to go a certain speed and there are people in my way that are going slower, then I will, uh, I will develop certain thoughts about those people. They're all idiots. Get out of the way, moron. I've never, I've never said any of these things. 
The gas is on the right. If you can't handle the speed, stay off the freeway. Just because you have a fancy car doesn't mean you're entitled to drive slowly in the passing lane. I've never said that one either. Maybe, maybe you've done that. But then, okay, so I want to go a certain speed, and I have that speed in mind. And so let's say now that I'm out on the freeway, you know, I've got plenty of room, and I can set the cruise control at this speed, and I'm cruising along, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes flying past me, usually a motorcycle, but it'll come flying past me, weaving in and out of traffic, cutting through spaces it shouldn't be. And what do I say about that person who is going much faster than me than I think? Maniac, crazy, what's your problem? You got a death wish? Where's a cop when you need one, right? (laughs) See, I like to judge and I like to blame, but I have this idea in my mind what I think is the right speed, and as I look at the right speed, anyone who is not meeting that speed is a moron. Anyone who's going faster than that speed is a maniac. It's nice to judge sometimes. We're hypocrites, right? We all have these areas where we're hypocrites. Nobody is perfect. We're on this journey, and as long as we are bound by this immortal flesh that is under the curse of the fall, which we're gonna get to in just a second, Genesis chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can pull that out. If you have your phones, you can open up to Genesis chapter three, open up the Bible app. It's a free app you can download, and I'd love for you to get out uh, Genesis chapter three. We're gonna be spending some time there this morning. We'll also be in John chapter five, a little bit later so you can kind of get your finger in that spot as well. Genesis chapter three is where we're gonna be, but we, we have this flesh that is wrapping our soul. As, we, as we've said before, we are not bodies with a soul, we are souls with a body, and we have this fallen flesh that is on us, and we, it's a struggle for all of our time on this earth to, to, to pull away the, the effects and the power that this flesh has on our minds and on our soul and to follow God without fault and without blame, and it's a struggle that will not be complete until we reach heaven, until we reach the other side, till we're in God's presence. But that does not mean that we, we make excuses and we say, you know what, I'm a fallen person, so this is just as good as it's gonna get, and I'm just gonna be satisfied with where I am. We have this other, this other idea that we call sanctification, and it's a fancy word for being set apart and being made holy. And God wants all of us as his followers, as his children, to be set apart for his work, for his purpose, and, and made holy. And we've, as we've talked about in the Do Justice series, that religion that God accepts is to care for widows and orphans and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we need to be set apart from the world and what the world says is right and allow God to clean us and purify us and set us apart. To do that, we have to own up to some things. To do that, we have to take responsibility for some of the things that we're not doing right. We have to take responsibility for some of the things that aren't going well in our lives. The first part of this is that we have to stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. This isn't a complete thought, we're gonna wrap around this, so don't check out yet, I promise we'll get to some of the other side of this in just a second. But the first thing, if you have notes, if you have a place to take notes, um, I I would encourage you to write this down, stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. I don't know if you have kids, maybe some of you do and you know this, but uh, we don't have to teach our kids how to blame, right? We don't have to teach our kids how to play the blame game. They, they do it pretty well on their own. 
I don't know if your kids are like this, I'm just gonna pick on my own kids and someday when they're old, I'll play this recording back for them and they'll be mortified. But uh, our kids have kind of gotten in this habit recently of tattling. And tattling just kind of drives you crazy. I don't know if, you, if you've been around you know, tattling very much and it just kind of becomes this thing that everyone starts doing. You know, Henry did this, Hannah did this, Harry did this, Harper did this. And, you know, it's all tattling on what someone else did. We never taught our kids to tattle. That wasn't anything that we ever taught them to do. They, they just kind of learned on their own to tattle and blame. They learned how to push the blame. So, uh, but they know that we don't like to tattle, so it's kind of changed a little bit. It's kind of shifted. It's not as much coming and saying, Henry did this, that does still happen, but it's not as much now. It's kind of become this other, this uh, 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 different way of doing it. It'll, they'll get within earshot where they can know that we can hear them and then they'll say something like, Hannah, I don't know why you're doing this. Henry, stop, you know you're not supposed to do that. Daddy doesn't like it when, and so it's not really tattling, but it's still kind of you know, tattling. And then when we do get involved, I'll ask the question from time to time, I'll try to ask them, what did you do wrong? And seldom will the response be, I decided, that I was going to do something that I wasn't supposed to. It was usually, well, Hannah said that I should do this, or Hannah told me to do this, or, or Henry was doing it, so I thought it was okay if I, well, Harry was doing it, so it must be okay when I ask, what did you do wrong? It's pretty easy to see we have a nature to push blame off onto others. Genesis chapter three, verse one. A little bit, uh, 13 verses we're gonna read, so stick with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We have asked and talked about that question. Did God really say? And how the enemy will come after us in so many ways and he will start with that question, did God really say? We've talked about truth and we're always gonna talk about truth and, and how important it is that there is truth and there are things that God has set aside, there are standards that God has created and God has said these things and if God said them, then we have to believe them and the enemy in the world is gonna come after us and say, did God really say? The hard part is living under the yes. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent comes back, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can almost see Eve thinking about it, looking at the fruit of the tree. When the woman Eve saw the fruit of the tree and it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We talked about that verse in the first week of the series about how when we become aware of something, we try to hide it and we wanna hide it 
instead of deal with it. Verse eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now you look at that second question and you stop for just a second and you say, what, is the, what are the possible answers to that second question? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Yes or no, right? It's a yes or no question. But what is Adam's response? He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Well, certainly Eve is going to own the responsibility because she's the one who took the fruit in the first place. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, this, this blame-shifting thing that we have, this, this desire that we have to push the responsibility off of ourselves onto someone else, it is inherent in us now from the fall, and it is something that we are all going to deal with, something that we all struggle with. We all know how to play the blame game. You see, when we, when we do something that's not right, when we do something that we think is, is wrong, then the easiest thing for us to do is, is maybe not, not be 100% untruthful. You see, Adam, he didn't really lie in his response. He told the truth, but, but he didn't want to respond with himself being responsible. He wanted to push the responsibility off. So, so a way for us to hide from the things that we need to deal with is instead of taking responsibility, we can look for someone else who's guilty and push the blame onto them. You know, we've got our own sins, but look at them. They're really sinful. I've got these things that I need to work on, but have you seen them? They got some stuff to work on. As long as Adam could blame Eve for what he did, he felt better about it. As long as Eve could blame the serpent, she didn't feel as bad about what she did. We like to minimize our guilt by making others look bad. So the tendency to blame others is deeply ingrained in human nature, it's there. Left to ourselves, we'll do anything to avoid taking responsibility for our actions. If, if it's just our human nature, if it's just our own response, we're, going to, we're not going to take responsibility for our actions. So blaming others is often nothing more than a subtle twist of the truth in order to take the heat off of ourselves. We'll, we'll twist the truth a little bit. Yes, I ate the fruit, but the woman, she's the one who gave it to me, so you should really be mad at her. It's, we'll just twist it and turn the attention onto someone else. But without a deep working of the grace of God in us, we'll do the same thing Adam and Eve did and we'll struggle with it for the rest of our lives. Maybe you've heard it, you know, being a victim, victimization, victimism. We're constantly blaming others for the problems that are going on around us. We, we don't take responsibility. We have to shove it off on someone. Maybe you've heard some of these. Well, I was, I've just been treated unfairly. The, the, there's just being unfair. You know, put in the who, and they're treating us unfair. Or maybe we say, I got the short end of the stick. I, I was handed the short end of the stick. I was dealt a lousy hand of cards. 
Or we blame our parents and say, well, our parents just didn't do a very good job of raising us. We blame our upbringing. The part of the world that I grew up in just didn't, do with, didn't deal with this stuff very well, so it's you know, just the way I was brought up. Maybe we blame our spouse. Our spouse is the one who's done the wrong thing. You know, my, my wife does this, or my husband does that, and it's always someone else's fault. When it comes to you know, how we're living out the Christian life, a lot of the times we blame the church. It's always the church's fault that I'm not going deep enough. It's always the church's fault that I'm not following God hard enough. It's always the church's fault. You know, the, message are, the messages are too shallow. You know, the pastor never covers anything deep, and so I just can't really go deep with God. Or, or the messages are too deep, and I just can't understand. I can't follow the pastor. It's the church's fault. If our, if our children are, aren't being raised well, then why will they blame the schools? They just go off to school all the time and they're around all the bad influences, they're around the bad kids, the teachers don't discipline anybody anymore, you know, it's just gotta be the school's fault, the, the, the kids aren't smart, so of course it's the school's fault that they're not smart. We blame the politicians. I'm not even gonna go down that road. We blame our bosses. Well, my boss is just too demanding. My boss expects too much of me. (sighs) We blame the government. We blame the culture. It's always somebody else's fault. We learned at a very early age how to sing the victim's battle cry. It's not my fault. Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? God's calling. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all, th- above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, if we if we rely on our hearts to drive us and what we're going to take responsibility and what we're going to take credit for, we're always going to push it off onto someone else because our heart will deceive us into thinking we haven't done anything wrong. How could I be responsible for this? I'm a bad person. No, I'm not a bad person. I'm a, I'm a good person. And your heart will confuse you and convince you that everyone else around you is wrong. You don't need to take responsibility for it. But we have to own up. We're always going to be the victim. Always be the victim. This is why I think some of the worst advice you can give is just follow your heart. You'll hear that a lot. Just follow your heart. I don't think you should ever follow your heart. (laughs) I think if you follow your heart, you're gonna find yourself in a lot of trouble. Do we listen to our heart? Absolutely, absolutely, because there are things that our heart will tell us that our mind cannot come up with, but everything that our heart tells us, we have to run through the filter of God's word and God's truth and allow logic to sink in and decide, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this the right direction? Is this the wrong direction? Because if we're only letting our heart speak, we're gonna go off in the wrong place pretty quickly because our heart is deceitful above all things. It's very easy to be betrayed by our own heart. I can tell you from personal experience. Most of us don't want to take personal responsibility for the things that are happening in our lives. So we blame God and we blame everything else. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to get out of this out of this victimhood, if we're gonna get out of this victimized mentality, we have to take responsibility. We have to stop blaming others for our circumstances. 
Now, we've kind of reached a point, I, I probably, I'm sure some of you are gonna start pushing back a little bit and we're gonna go a different direction here so we, so we cover the whole gamut of things. But you're probably starting to feel, do I have to take the blame for everything bad that has happened in my life? Do I have to take all the responsibility for all the things that have happened to me? And the answer to that question should hopefully be obvious, but if it's not, no. Some of us in this room are victims, true victims who have been victimized. Probably all of us at some level have, have something in our past, something in our life where we have been the victim of something. We have been victimized in some way. We've all probably been hurt. We've all been treated unjustly and unfairly. We've all received something that we probably didn't deserve. So when I'm talking about taking ownership, I'm not saying that you have to take ownership for the things that have been done for you, but what we do have to take ownership for is how we respond to what has happened to us. The things that have happened to us we may not be able to control, the things that are in our past we will never be able to change, but how we decide to respond, to respond from this day forward is in our control. As long as we're living under the state of, well, this happened to me, this was always someone else's fault, somebody did this to me, we are always under the control of whatever happened. As long as we're living in the state of, of victimhood, we're always under the arms and under the crushing weight of the burden that someone else put on us because they abused the image of God that God created all of us in and they, they treated us poorly, they mistreated us and they did something unjust and unfair and unright. And if we always live under that, if we never take the responsibility for how we, how we walk away from that, how we handle that, how we deal with that in the future facing forward, we're always living under the bondage, under the weight of what happened. Taking ownership means that I courageously decide that even though it wasn't my, wasn't my fault, how I respond is my responsibility. I courageously decide that even though it wasn't my fault, how I respond is my responsibility. There are things that go deep. There are wounds that cut deep. There are wounds that we never heal from. There are wounds that affect us for the rest of our lives, and we never, ever are the same again. But if you never choose how you're gonna walk away from that, the wound starts to fester. It starts to become this gross, nasty thing. Gross things come out of. We need to decide to walk away. There are things that have happened in my life that are not my fault. How I deal with that, how I respond to that and move forward from that injustice is my responsibility. The problem is I think some of us would rather be right than move forward. I think we'd rather be justified than move forward. I think we'd rather assign blame than to actually heal. I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident Probably some of you have. There was one time when uh, a guy ran a stop sign, T-boned me, ran uh, full speed into the car. I mean, he, he missed my door by about a foot. Uh, his bumper, you know, hit into my door, but it didn't hit me. He was going probably about 30, 35 miles an hour. Crushed into, into the side of my car. Got out, and first thing we did was called the police. There was another accident I remember 
This was when I was a kid and we were on our way to church and we lived 12 miles away from the church. We lived in the town of Jackson where the church was in Oak Hill, uh, but everyone just kind of said Oak Hill and so it sounds like the town is O-H-K-I-L-L, um, Oak Hill. So, uh, but it's Oak Hill, Ohio, where the church is, a Trinity Wesleyan Church was the church we grew at, but it's in the foothills of Southeast Ohio. It's the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and so if you get up into the foothills around here in the, of, of the Cascades, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of get into some of these winding roads, right? They kind of curve around and follow the landscape. Well, there's this one part of the road. It's I nine. It's a uh, it's State Route 93 that goes down from from Jackson South down to Oak Hill, Ohio, and there's a part where we call them the S-curves, and you've probably been on some S-curves, like down at the Terwilliger S-curves, and if you've followed the news, you know that accidents tend to happen there on a regular basis. It was no different here on these S-curves. It's a two-lane highway. One time on the way to church, we, we came around the S-curve, and we could see a lot of cars just kind of stopped, and we saw flashers on. No one had had, uh, the police hadn't gotten there yet. This was in the days before cell phones. So when the accident happened, somebody had to get in their car and run to the closest house or the closest business or whatever they could find to find a phone and call 911 and get someone there. And I, there are some of the images of some of the people that were hurt in this accident that will never leave my mind. One, one guy, he had a big gash down his back, all the way down his back and bleeding profusely. And my dad, he actually looked at me and said, I hope you never forget this so that you drive a little more cautiously. It was a bad wreck. My wreck wasn't that bad. I was a little shaken up, the adrenaline kind of got pumped, but this was, this was a, really, a really bad wreck, and I don't remember if anyone died, I don't think so, but a lot of people have died on those curves. When you get into a car accident, you call one of two people. We call the ambulance, or we call the police, right? We, of course, now we just we call 911, but depending on the accident, we're, we're hoping for one or the other. You know, if, if somebody hit us and we're hoping that we can make sure we get a, a cop here so that the blame gets put on the right person, we want the police to come. But if it's a bad accident and someone has come and they're hurt and they're maybe dying, then we're hoping, please God, get the ambulance here faster. Bring the ambulance. We need the ambulance to be here. I think the same is true for a lot of us as we kind of walk through life. You know, what's our first response? What's the first thing we want to do? What is our first action that we go for? Is it, do we want the police to come and assign the blame, or do we want the ambulance to come so that people can be healed? Is our desire to assign blame greater than our desire to be healed? John chapter 5. Verse 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Depending on what version you have, verse four might be omitted. Verse four talks about how the angels would come down and stir the waters, and when the waters were stirred, people would try to get in the pool so that they could be healed. Verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years, I'm 35 years old. In three years, this guy will have been an invalid for as long as I've been alive. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Do you want to get well? It's a serious question. It seems a little bit out of place in the story because we would think if this guy's been hurt, if this guy has been an invalid for 38 years, why would you stop and ask the question, do you want to get well? The answer seems pretty obvious to us. Yeah. Do you want to get well? Are you ready to get well? Are you ready to give up the life that you're used to for the life Jesus is offering? Healing can take place if we want to be free, but the question is, do you want to get well? If we do, there's gonna be a price to pay. If we want to get well, we're going to have to give up our job as an injustice collector. Walking through life, looking for all the injustices that we can pick up and carry with us. Here's another one. This ought to be good. This ought to get me some attention. We've, we've got to give up the broken record of everything that has gone wrong in our lives and all the people that have treated us poorly. Got to stop playing that story out and, and living in that over and over again. We might have to give up our grudge. Maybe there's a grudge that some of us have been holding for years and we just, we got to let it go. Give it up. Drop it. And we're probably going to have to open ourselves up to some close friendships again. Gonna have to let some people really get to know us. Maybe the hardest thing about stepping away from the state of victimhood is we're gonna have to give up the sympathy we get from others for our victimization. We all we all kind of fall into that, right? I mean, we just we want to kind of sit there and man, you know, all the sympathy feels good. People. People are just making me, they just feel good because I've had so much bad stuff happen to me and so we start kind of looking for more bad stuff to happen and once the high of that sympathy wears off then we need something else that's just as bad, just as equally awful so that we can get some new sympathy. Are you willing to give that up? 38 years. It's a lifetime of a habit and a pattern of Receiving sympathy, receiving alms, receiving things because we're victims, but wouldn't it be better 
to walk. Instead of being a victim for the rest of our lives and and trapped by a pool, hoping that we can maybe get into the pool and just blaming people because when the water is stirred, other people go down in front of me and I just can't get in. Wouldn't it be better to walk? So the question we have to answer if we're gonna move forward from this point is do we wanna be healed? Do we wanna get well? Do we wanna be healed? Do we wanna get well? If we do, there's one absolute that you have to know. You won't get well on your own. Therapy and counseling are great things, but they can only take you so far if you want to be truly set free. It has to be by God's grace. And when you know that there's a God who loves you unconditionally, that there are no conditions put on his love for you and you do not have to perform at a certain level, at a certain function to be able to receive God's love, God just gives you his love unconditionally, then you can start to get out from under this weight that you have to perform to receive God's love. You can start to get well. And when we start to understand grace, when we start to understand this amazing thing that God has done for us and sending his son to die for us on the cross, we realize that Jesus Christ came and he paid the price for my sins, he paid the price for what I did wrong, he paid the ransom for me when I should have been the one on the cross. When we really understand grace, then it starts to help us get set free from the things that are behind us. Because Jesus didn't have to come and die, but he did it because of grace. And as we understand grace, grace will set us free from the things that we're holding on to in the past. Do they deserve to be forgiven? No. If they've done something really wrong and awful, do they deserve to be forgiven for what they did? No. But neither do we. We don't deserve to be set free. When we understand grace, when I don't, I, there is nothing I could have done to deserve what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I don't deserve it, but he gave it anyway. He gave it unconditionally. If we're going to experience freedom, if we're going to be set free, we have to understand grace. I'm gonna ask the band to come. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna stop and remember grace. We're gonna stop for just a minute and remember what Jesus Christ did for us and we're gonna ponder how amazing this grace is, how astounding it is that Jesus Christ would die in our place when we didn't deserve it. As we're coming, I just want us to, to stand, if you will, ask everyone to stand, and we're gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just wanna ask, I'm gonna ask two questions, two groups of people. If you will bow your head and close your eyes, it will just be me looking at you. If you're here and you would say, I've, I've never received God's grace, I've never received this free gift, but I think I need it, then 
there's something you need to know. You can have it. So just between us here in the room, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ that first time and started your way on a journey with him, following him for the first time, walking with him, I want to ask, would you like to receive God's grace this morning? And if you do, would you raise your hand? Father, I want to stop and pray for those who have their hands up, who have raised their hands and want to receive your grace. Father, I pray that as they look at what you did on the cross, they see amazing grace. They don't see religion. They don't see something that has to be lived out to be received, but they see a free gift given freely. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We have all done things wrong that have a price that needs to be paid, and we believe right now in this moment that you paid that price on the cross through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, from this moment forward, we commit our lives to walking with you, to living our lives for you as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Before you open your eyes, one more, one more question I want to ask. Are you here this morning and you've got something that's weighing you down that you need to let go? Is there something that's, that's keeping you a victim? Is there something that is from your past that you just got to let go? something that's holding you back from experiencing God's freedom, holding you back from getting on the freeway with God. And if you are, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull, point you out or anything. There's several hands going up all across the sanctuary. If you've got something you want to be set free from, I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit alive and active and at work within us that you would through your word, through the encouragement of this body, and through our relationship with you, help us to see grace for what it is. That we would see the work you did on the cross, that our eyes would be open to just how amazing that sacrifice was. Father, I pray that you'd let us see it for the first time, maybe in a way that we've never seen it before, that your, that your body was broken, that your blood was poured out and spilled out to every last drop for me because of my sin. To see that for for the first time, and that as we look at that grace, that you would help us to then apply that grace to everything that's weighing us down. Whatever it is, whether it's a way we've been treated, someone who, who did something to us that we can never walk away from, something that happened to us that we can never really explain, that we don't have any reason for why it happened, whatever, whatever it is, or it's something that we've done to ourselves, or a habit and a pattern, a sin habit, a sin pattern that we've gotten into, we just can't seem to get away from. Father, I pray that you would help us to look at that situation with grace, stop picking it up and carrying it along with us and letting it weigh us down and holding us back from what you have for us. But Father, I pray by the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, alive and active and at work within us here in this morning, you would help us once and for all to set it down and leave it behind and walk forward in freedom. We thank you for healing. We thank you for setting us free. Father, let us live in that freedom this morning. 
And let us always remember, let us never forget, let us always be in awe of Jesus on the cross and the power to overcome death, hell, and the grave and the resurrection. We remember that now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.